Hello, Janet Gallen here with Love Letters Live. Today's guest is another amazing person. I want to introduce Jill Baker, but Jill, I'm going to go to you. Jill is a registered nurse. I'm sorry, nurse practitioner. Yes. Correct. I, yes, there's a difference. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to just hand it to you because I'd like you to say what that is. And you have what I, I'm guessing is a new specialty in medical life. Yes, I do. So I'm a family nurse practitioner and I worked as a family nurse practitioner for 22 years. So it's a, I'm actually a nurse with graduate level education and I work as a primary care provider. So I prescribe medicines and take care of my own panel of patients. And so while I did that in San Francisco for so many years, I, I had a group of patients that, uh, that were HIV positive. And as a part of that, at one point, the place I worked, the, the providers who were taking care of HIV positive patients were invited to have a more active role in taking care of the LGBTQ community. And that's when I really started to take on transgender health. And I, um, and I took care of transgender patients for many, many years. I've since left that role working at Kaiser Permanente actually. And now I am coaching and I'm actually coaching people in, in all manners of health, but with a specific eye on transgender wellness, uh, which is a different, a different spin, not just prescribing hormones. Okay. So I, I want to know about that because I don't know anything about that. And my question is, when you say you are primarily coaching now, what is it you coach and how do people know to come to you? Sure. So the big problem in healthcare right now is that there's just not enough time to spend with people. That's really the hard part, right? There's all this financial pressure on, on providers, on doctors and nurse practitioners to see a lot of patients in a day. And there are so many things to cover besides the medicines you're taking. You want to know about your labs. You want to know how to be well. And if you are a trans person, you still have many other things going on besides the medicines you're taking or the side effects to the medicines you're taking. You may so have a lot that of- have to do with being in the midst of transferring gender? I mean, well, things don't go with other medications? Well, so you may take testosterone, for example, yeah. right? Uh -huh. An important medicine, it's, it's really useful. And testosterone has some side effects. And to really, to really treat oh. a person adequately, you need to make sure that they're getting the right amount. Okay. And, and not too much, not, not enough. And well, so- let's, wait a minute. let's back up a little bit because, mm -hmm. because I, I do want to get to this, but what, I mean, you're kind of answering it, but what are the needs of that community as opposed to a general population? What different needs does that community have medically? Well, I, I have um, sort of an upside down answer to that question. And that is this community actually can get good information on, on hormones and on surgery, mm -hmm. but it's really hard to access care that is comprehensive 
where they're getting the same kinds of things that you and I are also concerned about. For example, you know, we worry about longevity and we worry about not getting cancer and being there in the long run for people we love or to meet goals we have in the future. These are things that, that trans people often get left out of in the healthcare setting. Oh, because, why? Well, because when they come in for care, there's so much focus put on medications or surgery when oh. that's only one piece of the pie. Sure. And those things are so important. They're so critical to good care. They're so critical to how a person feels about themselves and their body. Okay, but I want to talk about that because a very smart physician once said to me that how a person feels about his recovery has a great deal to do with whether or not he recovers. Yes, there's actually great data on that. That that hopefulness is really important to being well, to being in the body you want to be in, to feeling good about yourself, and then to have longevity. They all go together. So I, I feel like that gets left out of healthcare for everyone. Awesome. And when you're talking about a group like this who are already marginalized, it's really happening. So I have another question then having to do with the emotional side of things. When you, well, more to the point really with the pressure they're under to see so many patients per day that the doctors don't give you enough time to take a good history and often, and also, I have noticed that there are doctors you see and you go in to the office and they're you sit down and they're facing their computer while they're talking to you. They're looking at your computer, at their computer, not at the patient. Right. What do you right. say about the importance of looking at patient right in the eye? So when I talk to you and I look at you in the eye, I can read so much about you and you can about me, right? It's so critical to a relationship when you're just talking with one other person. And if you're working as a healer, as a doctor, as a nurse practitioner, as a yoga teacher, whatever you're, you're doing as a healer, you need to be able to connect with the person you are trying to care for. It's really what, hard to do what that. Kind of, what kind of medical things? I, I know of a woman actually many, many years ago who had gone to, she'd just gone for a pap smear. And as she was getting dressed, the physician was looking at her mm -hmm. and talking to her and she wasn't responding exactly the way she should. He noticed she was having a stroke. Right, right exactly. Her, got her to, anyway, worked out fine. Had he been looking at the computer, he would not have seen that. But what kind of, two things, what kind of medical things can you see looking at a patient mm -hmm. and what kind of emotional things can you see that's easier i guess maybe looking at a patient that is helpful in the diagnosis sure so let's start with emotional because that's such an easy one you can really get a sense of somebody's mood by talking to them you can get a sense of their of their cognition you know are we talking about somebody who may have something metabolic going on or some sort of dementia. These things happen all the time. They get missed, right? People appear depressed. They appear withdrawn. 
if you're really talking to somebody in an exam room, you're going to get a much better sense of what's going on that way. Another, another piece, there's so many things that come up with just talking to somebody, a neurologic exam. I can look at you and I can, I can watch the way your face moves. I can see the way you regard me. I can see the way you hold your, your head and your shoulders. And these things tell me, tell me about your neurological health. What do they tell? Well, right now what I can see is a couple of examples (laughs) is that you're strong, that you have, you have great tone in your face, right? And in the rest of your body that I think your cranial nerves are probably intact. I can't look into your eyes right now, but I can tell most things are looking good. (laughs) Okay. But, but I mean, you can sense those things. You can sense actual neurological things, but Okay, very important. What made you decide to go into this field in the first place? I uh, So I was an English major and I went to work at Levi's in San Francisco after. And I, uh, I felt like I was wilting and I had had these great uh, experiences with nurse practitioners in healthcare. And my mother was actually diagnosed with breast cancer and, and then stomach cancer. She was very sick. And And she ended up getting great care because she asked so many questions because because she had the room in her life to really get educated. And and I was so inspired by that. Um, And that's when I made my big change. And I I went to graduate school and became a nurse practitioner. Now, first, you have to become an RN, right? Yes. So I got a post-baccalaureate BSN at Columbia. And then I came back to UCSF and did the rest of my work. Oh, very nice. So you, you did mention, I know I'm kind of off track a little bit. I should have asked this sooner, but you did mention that you serve as the primary care person. Right. Right. And so I, I mean, I remember the nurse practitioner who took care of my mother. She was it. She was the doctor. She was right. everything. And so how did, how do you develop you know, a clientele? How do you develop a practice as a nurse practice? How do people know to come to you? Oh, well, I think I got so lucky. I went to work at Kaiser uh, 22 years ago for a really great physician, Steve Follinsby. And, uh, and he really directed a lot of patient traffic my way. And slowly over time, I, I really developed my own practice. So people call a nurse practitioner as we could call an internist and ask for an appointment? Absolutely. You can call and say, I would like to talk to, I would like to have an appointment with this nurse practitioner. Um, I know she's in this. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the laws are changing in California to be more like the laws in Colorado and Vermont and, and several other states where nurse practitioners are not going to have any physician oversight as they do now. Oh, so the American Medical Association is pulling back. Uh, there just aren't enough providers to take care of all the people who need care in California. And so that's really helped to make this change happen. So will you be required as a nurse practitioner without, uh, you know, that kind of oversight, uh, overseeing, but will you be required to take additional classes and keep up with changes and new opportunities? Absolutely. And already I have to keep up with continuing education. I'm certified by a, um, by a governing body, a national governing body, and I have to take tests and keep up with that as well. Okay. That's, that's Very similar. Also. 
Yeah, very similar to physicians. Um, but it's very, uh, in this day, it's very easy to access more, more education, more information. And there's a ton of continuing education out there around whatever it is you're most interested in or seeing. Okay. So in your specialty also now, what, what kind of things, if you can picture one, I, I can picture lots of ways where you can just function totally at what point, what would you be looking at that might make you go to someone else for a second opinion or. Right. Right. I've always been very cautious about that. Um, I love working in a team. It's really nice to have lots of eyes on somebody. Uh, so, so I would say uh, most things really are, most things happen commonly, common things happen commonly. But when I'm suspecting something really unusual. Like what? Like, like if I thought, I, if I thought if I was seeing you and I thought you had something, something unusual and very worrisome going on in your spine, I would immediately contact an orthopedic surgeon. I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you're good about referring out, of course. Yes. Oh well, yes. What's the most difficult thing you've ever come across? The most difficult challenge in your patient practice? Mm -hmm. I would say the most difficult thing is when is when a person has diabetes and and they have mood mood symptoms like depression or anxiety mm -hmm. and difficulty taking care of themselves maybe they they don't have access to good food maybe they don't have access to a safe place to live and it's really hard to help them get better I can give them medicines. I can give them glucometers. I can give them blood tests. But if you are struggling to get by, mm -hmm. it's hard to have these interventions that we typically give be enough. Yes. That's the hardest patient. Yes. So in your coaching. Yes. Go back to you because you said that's what you're doing now. Yeah. What, what do you, what does that mean? It means that. Uh, what I do is I really talk to the person about what they're looking for. Are they looking you to, talk to a, you talk to a patient who's come to you? Yes. And I talk to them about whatever it is that they are needing help with. So for example, let's say it's a, uh, it's a transgender person mm -hmm. who is thinking about surgery or maybe has already done that and is taking hormones and also is fighting their weight and may have diabetes and is just struggling with creating new habits and they realize they you're need coaching to be your own, you're coaching your own patients absolutely that's what i wasn't sure about okay yeah so i am i am not currently prescribing medicines to them i may at the start of the year we'll see i i really enjoy doing this piece so much and it's nice to work in concert with somebody else um, but I am, I'm really working with them to, to create new habits that, that support their identity and support the kind of body and person they are. Do you have an age limit at either end for transgender patients? Nope. No age limit. 
I'm a, I'm a family nurse practitioner. Historically, I mean, a family could come to you and say, you know, I have a 12 year old who is convinced that we've been assigning him the wrong gender. And then you would be able to. I would work with the whole family. Uh-huh. Okay. So I people have the whole family. absolutely anything. Yes. Anything. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to ask you about love letters because you know I believe in the power of letters and what they yeah. do. And I see that you've written one that you sent me. Your love letter. I did. May I ask to whom you wrote it? Yes, I wrote it to somebody who was a patient of mine. Oh. And uh, and that person is actually somebody that I, I do, uh, is, is also a, a friend uh -huh. and somebody that I, um, that I talk with and work with around ideas and, and concepts around gender wellness. Somebody who's really been a guide to me. So this is kind of a gratitude love letter. It is a gratitude love letter. Do you have it with you? Would you read it? I would love to read it. Thank you. I have to put my glasses on. It's important to know because I always say, because I always feel that gratitude taken to the grave serves no one. Mm. If you're feeling it, why not write it down and stick it in an envelope and mail it? Okay, you go <laughs> ahead and read it. Okay. First of all, I want to thank you for unraveling your history with me as these years have gone by. I continue to learn from the big and little things you share. You have incorporated and shared these pieces in a way with me that helps me to understand the place that these histories have in your life. All significant shifts and events for you over many decades, but shared with me to help me understand your process, who you are beyond what I can see and what I know. Working with you has shown me that taking care of a transgender person is about revering and supporting my patient's identity and supporting their total health. These two things are completely intertwined. I could have never taken care of you by just prescribing hormones or surgeries. And you wanted a lot more than that. You showed me how to provide comprehensive care always. That's not what the literature taught me nor what was expected of me in the healthcare system. You taught me that your sense of self and total health were also tied to your goals as an athlete and as a busy executive. Your goal as a parent to live a long active life. And your goals were tied to your weight and your cholesterol and cooking good food and dating and finding a soulmate. Oh, nice. And now as we consult with each other about the business of coaching gender health, you continue to show me the way encouraging me always to look for the whole picture, to see them the way they want to be seen, not simply for the way they present to the world. Thank you for your guidance. I look forward to more of your wisdom always. Wonderful. You're a wonderful writer. And uh, so I'm listening to this and think, oh, yes, English. But mm -hmm. <laughs> So that that's held you in good stead. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And, and do you know if this letter, one of the things about a love letter is you send it, you slip it in the mailbox, it's a gift, your job is done. And you don't get to, you know, you don't get to require a response. It's a gift. You don't need to get a thank you for it. But most people do get some kind of a response. Did you? 
Did you get a some kind of a response when when this friend received your letter? I just sent it yesterday. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. You don't get to ask. <laughs> and most people do get a response at some point pretty quickly. Most people are grateful for have. A, here's the thing about a love letter like that or any type. Part of the real gift, and I have heard this over and over for the last 15 years, is two things. I didn't know you knew that about me. Mm. And I didn't know you remembered that. So I think part of the gift, a large part of the gift is that you were listening and that you paid attention. That That is really a gift, yes. Thank you. And I love that it was to um, a patient of yours. You know, yeah. not often enough, by the way, but often people will write thank you letters to a doctor or a nurse. I mean, I have. And um, you don't see it the other way around. I've never heard of it the other way around. Well, it's a symbiotic relationship. You're sure. in it with somebody to figure out how to make them feel better, how to be happier in their body. And uh, it takes really focusing and listening. And uh, you can't do it without that other person there really being a guide as well into their story. I'm so glad you mentioned that partnership in it because this same physician who told me the other thing had once said to me, a patient is has a lot of responsibility in helping a good diagnosis. It is up to the patient to give every piece of information possible so that the doctor or nurse practitioner can make a good diagnosis and a good diagnosis will evolve. What do you think? I absolutely agree. I think there's so much in the history and in, in really showing and telling. Right. And that takes time. That takes more time than the doctors are allowed right now. Absolutely. It's really hard. Thank you for doing this with me. I, I just, I love what you're doing and you're oh. remarkable. Well, it's my pleasure. It's so fun to talk with you. No, it, thank you. I, I feel the same. And if anything comes up in your practice or in the world of medicine that you care to share and come back and talk about, we can do another Love Letters Live. I so, love that. Um, meanwhile, I will just tell you goodbye for now. And I look forward to just hearing more about you. And I'm so glad that you're in my life, your spirit and your work. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Bye. Bye.